Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by MediaBytes. It's bite-sized training for photographers. For 25% off your next MediaBytes purchase, just use the coupon code TWIP. This week on TWIP... Facebook and Shutterstock collaborate on stock photography. Reuters says goodbye to its United States-based freelance sports photographers, plus a discussion on operating a photography studio in Taipei with Taiwan-based photographer Garrett Clark. It's Wednesday, August 28, 2013, and this is TWIP. Okay, welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today to, to discuss some of the cool topics this week are, returning to the show, Mr. Derek Story and Joseph Linaski. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hello. Pretty good. How are you? Hello. I'm doing great. Joseph, what have, what have you been up to? What's what's going on in the, up in your neck of the woods? Well, now that the fires stopped trying to burn down all of southern Oregon, I can breathe again. So messing up your nice. photos. How dare it? I know. <laughs> no, it's been, it's been bad. It's been bad, but uh, we got some clear air. We got a bit of a break, so that's been quite nice. Working away, working the local small businesses, doing some, uh, doing the good work there. Cool. Spending the summer with the kids as much as humanly possible, and working on the next art project as you do. Speaking of art projects, what's that grid behind you? It looks very Instagrammy. It's 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 very Instagrammy. This is, in fact, the next art project. Um, so you know, I've been a couple of gallery shows at one of the local art gallery slash wine bars here, which mm-hmm. now I see you've got a glass of wine. I really wish that I had mine. <laughs> um, this is the next one. So this is hanging up this Friday, and I've, I'm in the process of building a 7 by 4 foot wooden frame with a string of a grid of wires, a little 6-inch interval, so there's going to be 6-inch squares, and inside of each square is going to be hanging one of these. So this is printed mm. on canvas. This is a 5 by well, there's 200 Instagram prints behind me here. I'm using 112 of them, I think, in the final piece, and tearing them off, so they'll have nice little torn edges, and then clipped into the into the frame in between. And these the are all your shots, right? Yeah, these are all pictures that I've Instagram over the years uh, from travels all over the world and, and all that good fun stuff. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Hey, by the way, um, if you haven't noticed the news, speaking of Instagram, um, this week in photo, ASMP, and a bunch of other photography-related entities with acronyms for names, (laughs) Um, uh, we sort of had a discussion, and we are not fans of the terms of service of Instagram. So we're going to put a post, a link to basically what this is all about and and how we feel about the terms of service that Instagram is imposing on photographers. I'll put that in the show notes, but we don't need to belabor it here. And I don't want to rain on your cool art project. (laughs) (laughs) It's art, man. So just check it out. It's all good. It's all for the goodness of photography and photographers. So, All right, cool. Well, welcome back, Joseph. Derek Story, what's going on with you, the digital story man? Yeah, I've been been on the go. Uh, I just spent the weekend out at Sonoma Coast doing a workshop out there. And uh, I love that workshop. It's one of my favorites. Uh, Actually, my two favorites are the one that we just had out of Sonoma Coast and then Fall Color coming up in October. Uh, so yeah, I was doing that, and um, uh, I was down at Linda recording some Aperture titles, cool. and uh, that was those are going to be out. Ooh man, I'm hoping next week. Sweet. Hoping, hoping not on uh, not on the ninth though. <laughs> Wait, what happens on the ninth? Oh, ninth and tenth. Oh, nothing. 
nothing. It'll be quiet, quiet day on the tenth. <laughs> <laughs> quiet day on the tenth. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it can hold the, what are your new aperture titles? Um, you're gonna appreciate. Actually, we have someone on the show that will appreciate this. So one is portrait retouching. Nice. Portrait retouching nice. was just the aperture tools. And it's amazing what you can do. And then the other one is uh, uh, product photography, uh, improving your product photography just with aperture tools. So nice. I show how to change colors, how to manipulate backdrops, how to clean up uh, skin, how to lighten the bags under the eyes. You know, all that, all that stuff. Just letting aperture do the heavy lifting. That's cool. And you're not round tripping into Photoshop at all for any of that? No, 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 no. That's no, cool. No, no, I want to I want to see those. I we see those. I we I do uh, one segment where I do a round tripping to Nick uh, mm -hmm. on silver effects for black cool. and white. You but, should see uh, if you no. can't you, if you can't get aperture expert to help you promote those or something. Yeah, we're going to talk. <laughs> Awesome. Well, welcome back. Well, we, we got ongoing conversations. Uh, you know, at some point we will we will take over the world, but exactly. sure. right now we're just in the planning phases of it. You know, everything deserves a little planning. <laughs> good. Well, welcome back to both of you guys. It's good to good to have you guys back on. Um, just a quick news story update. Way back in a couple of episodes, I think it was maybe ten episodes ago or so. Um, we did a story of a New Mexico wedding photographer who was being sued by a gay couple for refusing to take pictures of their ceremony. Well, we wanted to report on that, and the verdict is in, and the photographer lost. So we would love it to hear what you guys think. We'll link over to that story in the notes for this episode, but we'd love to hear what you think about that, listeners, in the comments on the blog post for this show. So. You've been updated. All right, guys. Let's jump into let's jump into the news. Story number one that we're going to talk about is it involves Facebook and Shutterstock. They've partnered to offer new advertising opportunities on Facebook. So essentially, um, Shutterstock's library of over 25 million stock images. And by the way, Shutterstock is a one of our advertisers. They're not they're not uh, promoting this episode, but they are an advertiser of Twip. Um, but they've got a library of over 25 million stock images, and they're making those available to Facebook advertisers. So previously, if you were going to advertise on Facebook, you had to go in and upload your own imagery and all that. Now you can choose from the Shutterstock library. So I wanna, wanted to put that to, to you guys just from the, the standpoint of, you know, if you rewind back, we know stock photography as we know it changed, I don't know, what, 10 years, 15 years ago, Derek, you know, with the, with the advent of microstock? And yeah, Microstock definitely yeah. changed a lot of things. I mean, it like kind of threw a bomb in a lot of people's livelihoods. And <laughs> <laughs> to be, to be, you know, to put it lightly, right? Cre and did create some livelihoods for others. So right, you know, exactly. Yeah. You know. So it laid waste, and then some some trees yeah. sprouted yeah. in the wasteland. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're very but, your metaphors are very natural today. Yes. It is. I'm, I'm very yeah, organic metaphors is what you're working. I'm going to try to continue that trend. Yeah, okay. Let's see how long it goes. So 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 to both of you guys, Derek, you first. So what does this mean? So now that these these agencies, these stock agencies, are doing these back end sort of B two B pipeline deals to provide imagery. That way, instead of you know like you going to Shutterstock buying an image and then uploading to Facebook, what does it mean for photographers? Anything at all, or is this a good thing? Is this more of a more of a an opportunity for the images to get used, or is this more dilution of of photography? It's probably. I mean, it makes sense to me. It, it's this is something seems like a good move uh, for for both parties. 
uh, and it, for those that have images in Shutterstock, it's probably uh, a good move too. You know, it introduces mm -hmm. uh, a nice big audience. I don't see it, and I could be wrong, and maybe you and Joseph will have a different viewpoint on this. I don't see it really hurting anyone. Uh, you know, right now. I mean, if there was some sort of like our next story where one entity is replaced by another entity, you know, that, that you know that that's kind of one thing, but. But there wasn't any entity before really providing images to these advertisers. They were just kind of scrambling around, and who knows? Maybe the ads will look better too. I mean, you know that <laughs> if that's if that's a byproduct of this, I you know I would be okay with that. So yeah. I, I don't I, I can't see right now off the top of my head any big any big damage uh, to anyone. It just seems like a good B to B move to me. So all positive from your, from your well, yeah, as far as we can see, anyway. Yeah. What about you, Joseph? Where do you fall on this? Is it a good thing for, for shooters? I, I think it's, for the most part, indifferent. I don't think too many photographers are going to lose money by not being able to license photos to uh, companies who are going to advertise on Facebook. You know, the, the, size, the size of the image is so small that in the ads on there that I don't think too many companies were going out of the way to license expensive photography for use in their ads. Mm -hmm. um, I just I don't really see it being an issue. I don't see any photographers losing money out of it. And as Derek said, maybe the end result is we'll get some better looking ads in there, and they'll stop trying to, you know, use excuses to steal ads from other people. You know that the whole kerfuffle about seeing your own photo showing up in ads targeted to you. Wait, what? Right. That somehow didn't quite make sense. But right. yeah, if you know if they're decent images, sure, why not? Because I don't I don't think anybody's going to lose any money on it. Now, are, are the, either of you guys using Facebook as an advertising platform to get the word out about the digital story or, you know, your aperture site? I've tried it several times and just never saw the ROI on it. Hmm. So no traction at all? Just, like... Minimal. Not enough to justify the cost. Interesting. Huh. What about yeah, you, Yeah, it Derek? is, because it's so targeted, you would think that it would, but... Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, because you can niche down into, like... People that are left-handed that live in Milwaukee on right. the north side of the street and drive a blue car. Right, right? and that's awesome when you can do that level of of, uh, of analysis or that level of drill down. It's great, but yeah, on I've run tests probably three or four times over as many years, and I've spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars, maybe even thousands, on advertising through Facebook and just never saw the results, never saw the ROI. Interesting. Derek, what about you? Have you have you tried it? So uh, I have a, a fan page for Digital Story for the Digital Story, and it's a nice little watering hole. Uh, you, you know, uh, I like it because I can bring stories in from different spots, and uh, I don't do advertising per se. But what I do do is I boost posts, and you know, so where you can take an individual post and boost it. Mm -hmm. And the the main reason why I do that is because you know Facebook doesn't serve. A post like when I do a podcast post, they don't serve it to everyone in my audience. Only a fraction of my audience see it. So if you boost it, and in my case, it usually costs me like twenty bucks to do that, then then it it not only gets to everyone in my audience, but it'll also get to a lot of their friends also. See, that's and, key right there. That's a key point that I think it a is lot a key of people point. don't understand with with mm -hmm. with Facebook. Like when you post something up there. N not necessarily everybody that is your friend or following you is going to see no. that, right? No, and are, we you know, know they're not. Do you have any math or any logic behind what the rhyme or reason behind who gets to see what or how does that work? Um, I, I've heard different theories, and I don't, I don't know the I don't know what uh, you know what the formula is for it. Yeah. Uh, it, actually, that would be a good interview, Frederick. You know, that would be. 
good to have someone on the show that really understood that. Like Mark because Zuckerberg I, or somebody? Yeah. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Start at the hey, top. You don't know until you ask. Who you knows? don't you know until yes. you ask. You know, but um, I, I think that would be interesting. But you're right. I think the first thing that people have to know is not everyone has seen it. In fact, only a fraction of your audience is uh, you know seeing any given post. And then if you boost it, though, then that you know, then that changes. So that is a, you know, that's that's a business uh, plan for Facebook, right? That is, I mean, but that seems, I don't know. I mean, Joseph, what do you, did you know about that? Like sure. limited access? Does that yeah. not seem, I mean, it's their business. They can do whatever the heck they want to do with sure. it. But sure. does that not seem shifty? Like, well, <laughs> you have all these people that have that have followed you because they say they want to hear what you have to say. But you know what? If you want, if you actually want to meet them, then you got to pay up a little. Come sure. On. <laughs> yeah, when you put it that way, um, you know, like Derek, I've got a fan page that, or whatever it's called that's for my. But it's kind of everything: the photo Joseph stuff and the aperture extra stuff, all goes there. And so that has its group of followers. And whenever I post something on there as the moderator, you'll see uh, at the bottom of every post how many people have seen this. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting to go through them and see some of them are double what other ones are and I don't know if there's if it's because of the popularity of it but how does it I don't think it could be because maybe it has to do with who how many people click on it and if more people are clicking they end up getting thrown on other people's pages I don't really know I don't know how that number you know how that come how they come up with that um, how many people it actually gets thrown at but I've never tried boosting it I've never tried paying for it I would only do that if I was selling something on it so yeah. if I was advertising a sale for example then I would I would consider doing that and if Derek if you say that it's it gets you more eyeballs on it for sure. Then it it's does. worth certainly it's worth a fifteen or twenty dollar investment, and that's nothing. Yeah, you know, like for on the pod, I do it on the podcast because I want everyone in my audience to at least know what this week's podcast is, right? Whether they decide to listen to it or not, that's up to them. And a lot of them are getting it automatically in iTunes and so forth. But mm-hmm. I, I like getting it in front of them. And uh, when I boost it, uh, the numbers are you know ten times. What they would be if I didn't boost it, wow, and, it okay. and it cost me uh, fifteen or twenty dollars. That's crazy. So, wow. and you know, they just bill it to my PayPal. So, so uh, you know, to your point, Frederick, I'm you know I'm spending you know right around eighty bucks a month, you know, f- for my Facebook uh, advertising. But that's the only kind that I do. I just take specific things and I boost it. And it's funny. You know, the other thing about Facebook advertising is a marketplace. I wish I I did understand better. Because you know, some days uh, you you can boost for ten dollars and you'll get just as many numbers. Other days it'll cost you twenty. And as you know, when you when you buy advertising, you know you have to check in and set the price uh, every day because it changes mm-hmm. constantly. You know, some days you know it's uh, it's going to be you know twenty cents an impression, and other days it's going to be seventy five cents is what they recommend. It's probably you know? it's probably and, and, you know it's just like. They're they're adjusting. It's probably Facebook adjusting as revenue targets track towards the end of the quarter. <laughs> I'm just guessing. Yeah. <laughs> oh crap! No, We're I not going to meet know, our targets. We need to increase that by a buck. And we'll hit them. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's, I, I, this is crazy stuff going on with all that. But uh, you know, as Joseph was saying earlier, that if you buy flat out advertising, let's say you know you're just doing, you know, where you target the demographic and you do all that sort of stuff, that can get pricey really fast. I mean, you can yeah. you can spend uh, easily easily uh, four or five hundred dollars a month, and you know, without even blinking an eye. 
No, so. I mean, not to beat this too 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 hard, but I, I'm just curious about this, Derek. In your in your your experience, have you done any conversion tests? You, you know, for that twenty fifteen to twenty bucks, you can say that that directly correlates to X many people a like signing up for your workshops or you know doing something else that's tied to revenue. Yeah, yeah, I have, and you know, the other thing that I've noticed that goes up uh, when I do that is you know, there's another uh, factor of people talking about. It, you know how how many people are talking about your fan page right now or mm. or Amazon that that number usually goes up about thirty five percent you know when I when I'm boosting a popular when I'm boosting a popular post mm -hmm. and then um, when people sign up for a, a workshop or any sort of activity that I do I ask them how you know how they heard about it still the number one way is referral from a friend I mean you know that you know just whether it's restaurants or or cameras or whatever. I mean, that's still the most powerful thing. But um, the you know, Facebook is in there. Facebook you can't beat word uh, of mouth, man. Really? Yeah. No, word of mouth is is king. Word Joseph, is you're king. you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna push and promote or boost your next post, aren't you? Well, the next post where I'm actually selling something. I'm not gonna do it just for a, a random. Cause remember, I don't have any advertisers to appease, so yeah, I don't need yeah. to prove numbers through adver for advertisers. Um, if I'm not selling something, you know, promoting a product for sale or a discount that I'm offering, then there's no point in paying to promote it. Um, yeah. It just doesn't really make sense. And it's funny, I'm looking at it, and when you do to promote, you know, it suggests whatever $15 or something to promote, and it tells you how many it's going to hit. So I started playing with the numbers, and if I boost the budget all the way to $2,500, it says <laughs> that I will reach an estimated my entire potential audience. Oh. So, yeah, so 2500 bucks, I can reach uh, a lot of people. So, and your potential audience is not only the people that like you, but it's it's everyone that likes that they're connected to too. Right, that, and it's 520,000 really people that they've that it oh, has added up. So, okay, okay, for 2500 bucks, I can reach half a million people. You know, and if awesome. I'm selling something for 20 bucks, that could be very worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you get like a 1.5 or 2 percent conversion on that, you that's not sure. bad, right? So maybe I'll try that next time. Go. I you know, think I'll go for the full 2,500, but I'll give it more than 15 bucks. I think what's interesting, uh, you know, about this to me anyway, is that the how the playing field has changed, and that I, and I'm not sure 10 years ago that I would be able to be just this guy, you know, hanging out, you know, kind of doing what I want to do for a living, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's the and, case. And, and you know, the fact that. Um, you know things like you know where I can get advertising this way, where there are social networks that I can plug into. That Squarespace offers me a, a, a shopping cart for you know peanuts. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean this is crazy stuff. I mean, so I mean literally a, a, a man or a woman with an idea and an internet connection right now can basically start a business. And yeah, that, that, part, person, that part I really like. You can start a business. You can um, start a television channel. You can start a radio show. Yeah. You know, you can do whatever the heck you want. Or you can, hey, bring it in full circle, start a photography business. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Photography, that's totally dead. Who yeah, I know. This, <laughs> this week in media. Or the, no, this week in marketing is what we were doing. <laughs> well, and uh, totally close the loop. Just don't start a stock photo business. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's a little late for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah so it's already been done. So yeah. you know, think, think of something else. So Derek, yeah. Derek, or both of you guys, I'll start with you, Derek. What what would your advice be to 
you know, the photographer that's out there that's, say it's a wedding photographer mm-hmm. um, that's starting out, they got their site up there, they got their Facebook page, they've customized everything, and they're like, you know, I want to get some traffic coming in here so I can get more bookings. Would, would this kind of thing, like advertising on Facebook using Shutterstock's library, would that be something that they should experiment with, or is it maybe wait until they get a little larger? Well, no, I think they need to look at online uh, possibilities right away. And the first thing I would think about, because I did do weddings for a while, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, actually they helped me get my business going because it was cash flow. Yeah. And uh, the thing that I did was I targeted what areas I wanted to work, you know. And it, it's, so in my case is Sonoma County, Napa County, San Francisco, Marin County. That's where I wanted to shoot weddings because the, the clients there, you know, would, would pay you know, a decent amount for a photographer. Right, right. So, uh, so I, in those, when I first started, I, I wish I would have had this demographic, demographic uh, sort of targeting. I had to do things like, you know, yellow book ads and, you know, all that kind of stuff, newspapers and all that. Wow. But, yeah, I mean, really, I mean, it was rough uh, right. because you got no feedback, really. I mean, you know, but now um, I would definitely do some of this targeted advertising in the areas, you know, so the ads or, or whatever you're serving up goes to people where you want to do your work, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that work has been. And I, I say yes. I say do it. Joseph, what about you? What would your advice be to the, the new photographer jumping into this, trying to get the word out about themselves? Facebook? Yeah, same, same thing. Well, sure, it, because you can target it so so directly and if you I think if you live in a small town or you're surrounded by smaller towns where it's a little bit easier to stand out you know if your target market is the greater Los Angeles area that's a little bit harder to get into but if you're going for smaller counties or smaller towns or like where I am here in Ashland it's a tiny little town it's a little bit easier to get seen that way so yeah I think it's a perfectly valid way to go why not yeah and and it's, absolutely. It is even if you're, try. even if you're in Los Angeles you know it's it's a large area but you could say you know, I only want to service clients that live in El Segundo, you know, Marina del Rey, right. and whatever. You know, and yeah, just I would get say the most important area. thing is to make sure that you can track it, so you know whether it's working or not. Whether that means, you know, if if I'm doing a a discount code, right, I might put a different discount code on Facebook versus Twitter. Same discount, you know, same twenty percent off or whatever. But then I can track and see which one had more traction. Yeah. Or if you're going to post an ad that says "Call me." Go on Google Plus and get a dozen different or whatever Google um, calls. What's it called? The Google Google number. Google. What's it called? Where you get phone numbers on Google? Oh, Google Voice. Yeah. Google Voice. That's the one. Mm-hmm. And get a bunch of different phone numbers and post those different phone numbers to different ad ads and just see which numbers are getting the most calls. And there's lots of different ways to do that kind of tracking. Yeah. Well, you mentioned yeah, Google. So what about what about Google? You know, we've been talking about Facebook and advertising on there. You can do the same kind of niche down demographic targeting on Google. So if, if a photographer is like, you know what, I only got a hundred bucks this week, you know, to get to to spend on this, where should that hundred bucks go? Should they put it in Google's pocket or should they put it in Facebook's pocket? Well, I think that's a good question. I mean, I think with Google, you don't even have to to spend the money if you if you create content that uh, you know that's targeted, you know, where you you put the good keywords in, you do all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the nice thing about and put it in Google Plus. I mean, it shows up on a Google search like three minutes later. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, at least it does for me anyway. I mean, I, I imagine there's some variance there, but uh, I always put stuff in Google Plus because uh, 
you know, one of the ways that people are looking for you is through Google search. Yeah. And, you know, don't write off Bing either. I mean, Bing is, is up and coming and, you know, doing uh, a better job all the time. Uh, and they know, power the, Yahoo search, so Bing slash Yahoo, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, these, these things can be very helpful. But I think in, the, in that case, you don't even have to spend advertising dollars. You just have to create content, uh, you know, so that people in the areas will find you, you know, and, yeah, Joseph, you know, what do you say about that? Google? Well, I mean, hundred bucks doesn't go far on Google. It really doesn't. Yeah. Uh, I I remember one time when I was doing an ad test and I forgot to turn it off, and then I got an eight hundred dollar bill from Google. <laughs> Did you pay it? <laughs> well, obviously, but you know. If you don't pay it, do they shut off your Gmail account? They, they shut off your Google, right? You go to search and it says, "Sorry, you, you just fall right out of that search engine." Then. Right. <laughs> I was on the first page. What happened? You forgot to pay your water bill. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's and and again with that, like with the Facebook, I didn't see a huge result out of it. You know, obviously my business is different than other people's, so mm-hmm. um, it all depends on what you're doing, and it's worth trying anything. But just be prepared to spend some money and not see investments before, or not see a return on it before you figure out what is going to work for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, Frederick, I just want to add on. You know, mm-hmm. so the idea for for me and all this stuff is, I want to establish a beachhead. Where wherever it is I want to work, right? Mm-hmm. Because as we were saying earlier, the the real driver is going to be word of mouth referrals. But you got to get it going. You got to get it. Like for instance, when I knew I wanted to do weddings in Marin County, I had to get clients there in Marin County, and I had to do a good job on the wedding, and I had to make them happy so that they would tell their other friends in Marin County about me as a wedding photographer. And advertising is what got me in. And then doing a good job and encouraging people, and I think a lot of um, photographers could do more in this area, where you encourage your happy clients to tell other people. You know, yeah. tell them, say, you know, well, make sure you, you know, you spread the word about me, and you know, let me know if, if uh, you know, somebody uh, is interested and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And because there's that's that's where you get the really I think the solid clients. Yeah, and it's like uh, uh, Nate Greyhack. He's a he's a friend of mine. He runs a company called Sticky Albums, where they do um, uh, essentially you create a, a, an album that's going to be displayed on a mobile device, and then he makes it really easy for you or for the client to share that with their friends on oh, yeah. Facebook. Oh, yeah, that's nice. And then those people can share it, and it just goes viral that way. But it's yeah. he's leveraging that word of mouth thing, and yeah. you know he seems to be doing okay with it. So, yeah, uh, I mean that's that that you know nothing uh, in my opinion is more powerful than you know getting your friend to recommend a service you know to to one of to another friend. I mean yeah. that that's gold. Well, close the loop. Close the loop for us, Joseph, and then then you, Derek. Um, we're talking about we talked about Facebook. We talked about um, Google. What about Twitter? I mean, Twitter's doing advertising yeah. now too, and yeah. sponsored tweets and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Do Do you guys ever consider Joseph? Do you ever consider using Twitter as an advertising yep. mechanism? Tried it too. Tried it too. <laughs> like, yeah, I tried that crap. Didn't work. <laughs> I've spent thousands on advertising, and the end result it comes down to what Derek said. It's word of mouth. That's where. My best customers come from are because of other customers, very happy people who tell their friends, and it just spreads, and that's it. That's what works. That's but that's so me. That's advertising, my advertising will get your foot in the door, um, and then that that allows you to impress them so that they can tell their friends and generate business. 
Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think there is there is something to that, right? Mm -hmm. Now, uh, one of my uh, clients that I work with, Low Pro, they they're doing sponsored tweets right now. Uh, they have a, a budget for it, and um, you know, I haven't seen the actual you know return on investment with it, but they seem happy. They seem happy with the traction that they're getting hmm. on them. So. Um, and they're, you know, but again, uh, not cheap. I think uh, they're spending like fifteen hundred uh, a month on that, which is like, not huge for a company either. But yeah, uh, Do you know you what know, that equates to? How many tweets not, does that not, equate to? Uh, a lot. Okay, so it's not just <laughs> it's not just one guy going out and and okay, I sent a tweet, kept me a check. Well, you know, and the thing about sponsored tweets, have you guys noticed this? If you look at your own newsfeed on Twitter that you'll see a sponsored tweet more than once too like you know you'll see it one day and then like three or four days later you know that tweet might roll through there again you know so it's it's even it's there's even some repetition to it uh, yeah. so you know it's not just a, a one and gone but uh, I haven't seen uh, the return numbers on it yeah. um, you know and also and you know that I mean this is right up your alley you know are you doing brand building you know, mm -hmm. or are you trying to get a specific return on investment for a product? You know, right. and that you know, there's those are are different things yeah. there. Yeah, if you're trying to, if you have a brand awareness problem and you're trying to get the word out so people know who you are, that's yeah. different than them knowing who you are, trusting you, and breaking out the credit card or the PayPal, you know, to give you some money. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Well, cool. All right. Well, I think that horse is a uh, is a bloody pulp. <laughs> Now we'll leave him alone. <laughs> Let's move on to the next story, and that's it Roy was a better conversation than that. <laughs> so should we have beaten the story? The story is done and toasted. A fork in its is in it. To flip it off. We've, we've made uh, we've made dog food out of that. So um, oh oh, stop! Move on. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> no more metaphors. No more metaphors. You're on, you're on a you're on a metaphor diet right now. I, I rode that metaphor horse yeah. to death. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm on a metaphor diet now. Okay, so Reuters. The second story is Reuters cut its freelance sports photographers in the United States. So let me read this to you. So Reuters news agency has announced a partnership with USA Today, which negates its need for freelance sports photographers in the U.S. Sports images for Reuters will now be provided by USA Today's photographers. The reportedly 30 to 50 photographers directly affected by this decision will receive non or new non-sports beats, according to sources, but can still, as of today, shoot sports for Reuters as long as they are outside of the U.S. So, Joseph, you first. What's What does the future hold for people that want to go into photojournalism as a profession? That's quite a jump from that. Um, <laughs> well, I'm trying at... not to use metaphors, and that's what happens when I don't. <laughs> no, okay. So, like what do you think about, about the story thing. first? So if you go back to the like the Chicago Sometimes thing, right? Yes. I mean, that's, yes. That was obviously it sucked for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just the changing world that that we're in. And if if you want to go into business as a photographer, as a photojournalist you are going to have a harder and harder time being a photographer that is just a photojournalist. Mm -hmm. And as we've talked I about many times... that's a key phrase, Joseph. I think that's a key phrase, yeah. too. Yeah. As we've just talked about many times on the show, you yeah. gotta you got to expand your, your horizons. you got to do more than one thing. And while some may see that as a, a detriment, oh, I wish, you know, all I want, I just want to do this one thing. I want to be a wedding photographer. I want to be a photojournalist. Uh, frankly, I think you can be, you become a better photographer for doing 
more different things. If you are a wedding photographer and a photojournalist and a sports photographer and a product photographer, when you go on that wedding job, you take all of that experience with you. When you go to shoot that product or that sports game, you take all that experience with you. And I think it makes you a better photographer, assuming that you're willing to put the work into it. It's not going to be easy, and maybe it's easier to just collect a steady paycheck and shoot pictures for whatever paper or, or agency, but this is what separates the, the cream from the whatever's not the cream. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're on uh, a metaphor diet now. How about that? <laughs> All right, so, so that said, you know, devil's advocate here, a lot of people will say jack of all trades, master of none. Sure. Right. So focus on one thing and be known for that one thing. If you're going to be a wedding photographer, be the best wedding photographer on the planet. And when someone says wedding photography, your name should pop into their head. So that flies in the face of diversification. What do you say to that? Right. It, and it's very valid. And I know for myself, if I had focused for the last 10 years on just being a X type of photographer, then I would probably be financially more successful in that realm. But I sure as heck wouldn't be happier. Mm. I enjoy that I'm doing different things. I enjoy my life in the way that it is, and I enjoy the work that I do, and I enjoy that a client will call me today for one thing, and another client will call me tomorrow for something completely different. Yeah. And that I love that. That makes me happy. It's and fun. Allows me, yeah. yeah, it's fun. It allows me to work the way I work and do what I want to do and turn down jobs I don't want to do as opposed to just being the wedding guy, which nothing wrong with that. If that's what makes you happy, then awesome. But yeah. for me, I'm... I'd rather make less money and have more fun. Yeah, uh, Derek, what, what about you? I mean, is that is that the split right there? Make less money, have more fun, specialize and focus, and make a lot more money. Is that is that fair? I think that's fair. Uh, I, I think I think the key factor is, and I think both of you have touched on it, is though uh, do what you love, do what you love. So in in Joseph's case, he loves being diverse. You know, and he's he's good at it. He does a lot of interesting thing. He comes up yeah. with a lot of interesting stuff. So uh, someone else, uh, they say they may say, you know, I only love to shoot baseball, and that is my thing, and that is my passion. And in both cases, then I would say, then do that exactly. You know, I'm not going to tell that that baseball photographer that he should diversify and I'm not going to tell Joseph that hey Joseph you really need to focus dude you know I mean uh, you know so I think doing what you love is the right path and if you, the thing about it is and you know I, I think I'm, I'm proof of this if you do it long enough you will be successful if you work hard if you have any talent at all you don't have to be the most talented person but if you do it long enough and, and, and you're disciplined about it, you know you will have some success. Yeah. And then one other thing I want to say: mm -hmm. photojournalists have never been financially successful. <laughs> it's never been <laughs> yeah, a good job. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> this, I mean, I, yeah, let's just be clear because we're acting. You know, I, when I when I worked uh, for a newspaper. Uh, you know, we were paid by the column inch. I mean, we weren't even paid by, there's no salary or none of that sort of stuff. You know, we were paid by the column inch, and, and it wasn't a lot, you know, and, and that's just the way it was. Yeah. So it, it's never been a great financial job, and I think people who like photojournalism, you know, have to love it uh, to do it as a living. And if you do, you know, you'll find a way. You'll find a way. I mean, you're probably not going to be working for uh a newspaper. They're probably not going to be a staff job. You're going to have to be an entrepreneur and a photojournalist. Yeah. 
Well, okay. So here, here's another question on that. So Joseph, you, you're, you're preaching the diversification sermon there, right? So with that, you, like, you're, you can say that because you are highly skilled at shooting all kinds of stuff, you know, from rock stars to travel photography to portraits to all this stuff, product photography. You could, you could, you're in any one of those disciplines, you are as good as pros in those. So you can make that statement, or not pros, but people that choose to do that as their sole genre of photography. So you can make that statement easily. What about the person that is not at your level of competency in photography yet? They're still, still trying to figure out their their look and feel and what they like to do. Should they diversify and spread their bets around and say, okay, I'm going to learn sports, I'm going to learn rock stars and all this stuff? Or do they focus on one thing and learn that, like from a learning perspective, not just a revenue generation perspective? Well, from purely learning, then I think you're better off doing a lot of different things. You know, maybe not pick, you know, maybe you're not going to shoot one thing uh, in, a, in a month of 30 days, not shoot a different thing every 30 days, because that might be a little bit too diversified. But pick a handful of topics that are somehow related, but still different enough where you have a different experience, and focus on those. That's what I would advise, just so that you do get good experience and repeated experience, but also diversified experience. Yeah. And what did you do when you were starting? Did you did you pick one horse, or did you were you well, all over the place? I mean, which starting do you mean? I I had picked up my first camera when I was five years old, so right. I've you know literally been shooting everything and everywhere. So it's kind of that's kind of hard to say for me. But, but when you okay, let's let's draw a line when you first started charging for photography and you started calling yourself a professional photographer. Well, let's say let's go to 2009 when I left Apple and started and went freelance uh, full time. Mm -hmm. At that point, I mean at that point I was I came out of the gate shooting for Seal, so I had uh, and for Apple, so I had a couple of big clients right away, yep. and as those kind of dried up a little bit, started to diversify more. And I wasn't shooting to gain the experience. I was more shooting trying to find the clients that would pay a reasonable amount of money for the for the work. Yeah. And currently I'm focusing on local businesses because of where I am in town here, in this small town. Uh, there's a, a lack of good business advertising photography around here, and I've been able to start edging into that market. And it's working out great. So you just need to look at where you are. That may not work for somebody in any other city, but that just happens to be what's working here. But it took a while to figure that out. It took a while to figure out what it would take here. Got it. Got it. Derek, what, what about question. you? Same question. If you're, you know, you're you're looking at it from a diversification standpoint, and you're a new photographer still learning, what what path do you go? Do you focus your your efforts on one thing. I'm I'm really struggling not to use metaphors here. So do you <laughs> focus your efforts? I was gonna say focus the sun's rays on. <laughs> do you focus your efforts on one thing, or do you do you you know try many different things? Well, I, I'm gonna stand by my shoot what you love, um, and the reason why I, I'm gonna stick with that is because I think it's hard. You know what happened? You know, I think photography is actually hard to be good. Uh, and you know, in, it, it's, it's so deceptive. It seems easy in the beginning. It seems simple, and the cameras do a lot of stuff. But to actually get to the point where you know where you're delivering something that someone else will pay money for, I, I think is it's not easy, and it takes a lot of work, and it's a lot of repetition, and you know, there's just so it's hard uh, to get to that point. And I think th that is that if you don't shoot what you love, if you're not doing what you really like, that your odds of getting to that point to where you know you're competent uh, is, I think the odds go down. So I think that passion is what gets you through the hard stuff. 
And uh, so, you know, that's why I, I think that, for me anyway, that's the advice I give. Love it, love it. It's fun. I mean, like, yeah. If you if you can pay the bills with this stuff, like both of you guys are doing, and I would I would throw in there as using both of you as as examples of diversification. You guys yeah. are success stories, right? I mean, you're diversified. You're paying. You're keeping the lights on, and and presumably eating things other than ramen noodles, using photography, right? So. So, so, Derek, before we move on, just give us a high level. We don't need to get into the weeds of your business, but give right. us a high level of the different buckets that make up the digital story. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm into revenue streams. I think revenue streams is the way to go, uh, multiple revenue streams. And I like to have like four or five going at any given moment. So one of them is shoot for hire. Right, and and I, you know, and I like shoot for hire because it also keeps me sharp, you know, and uh, and I meet new people, and you know, you develop contacts. So shoot for hire is definitely a revenue stream, but then I also I like royalty kind of stuff. So the work I do, my photography involved for me doing training videos for Lynda.com, and that's a check that comes every month where I don't actually have to go work for it you know what I mean it yeah. I do something and, and then it, it pays over the long haul yeah. and then I like having one or two big clients and you know I'm very lucky to uh, have you know low pro as a, as a client right now as a big client and you know and that's nice because you can develop a relationship with them and, and have some rapport and then my online properties you know, all the all the stuff I do online and then finally workshops yeah. So, you know, so it's coming in from, and I try to develop one new product every year. I want, every year I want to have one new thing that I'm adding to it. And if it takes off, then I can take off something that maybe isn't doing as well. That's cool. You know, and That's just cool. kind of, you know, try to, try to keep it moving upward. Yeah. That, what you describe, I just, you know, the military, I went back to the military in my head and I started thinking submarines and how, mm -hmm. you know, a submarine if it can take more, it can take a hit, right? Because it's yes. compartmentalized, exactly. and those those compartments represent your revenue stream. So yes. if one of them goes away, the sub is not going to sink to the bottom, right? You're no, okay. that's absolutely true. It hurts, right? It hurts, and maybe you are going to ramen for a month or two, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it doesn't sink. It doesn't sink the ship. No. Doesn't sink. Yeah, Joseph, what's your picture there? What's your your you know from a high level the buckets that make up Joseph Lenashki? Enterprises. <laughs> sure. Well, it's it's very similar to, to Derek's description. I think, Derek, isn't it you had the expression of it takes a lot of peanuts to feed an elephant? Isn't that attributed <laughs> to you? <laughs> that I, I've repurposed someone else's uh, saying of that, but it's true. Fair enough. It, I have said it, yes. Yeah, so that's, that's you know, I have the exact same approach. There's the... There's the um, the long tail revenue stuff, the Lynda.com or the other training out there, the writing ebooks and making presets and things that you put up for sale that just continue to sell long after the work is done, and and that's fabulous, right? And that's yeah. that's the kind of living the dream, if you will. Um, but that can also get boring. You know, I, I get a lot of requests, and I'm sure you're the same, Derek. You get a lot of requests from Linda, for example, to do training videos. And you could do them all day long. You could continue to turn out training videos and probably make a, a really good, really good living doing just that. But, you know, I don't want to just do training videos. I yeah. want to shoot yeah. because that's my real passion. You know, that's where I really have a lot of fun. So, yeah, so for me, it's the Aperture Expert, of course, the all the things that are for sale through there, the 
uh, the Lynda.com training now that that was acquired by Video to Brains. It's all over there now. And just straight up shooting, straight up photography and education, still do a lot in education. And they all are multiple legs of that stool. It's a stool with a lot of legs on it. And I like your approach, Derek, of saying you want to add one new thing a year. Yeah. And if it works, drop something else. That's that's good. That's a, a nice, solid approach. I like that. I may have to may have to steal that from you. Yeah, me too. I may have to steal it too. Steal it. It's good. <laughs> going from going from corporate the corporate world, Apple, which is you know the epitome of corporate, um, going from there into doing your own thing. What piece of advice would you give photographers that are sort of looking out the window, daydreaming as they listen to this podcast, and like, you know what, one day I'm going to do the Joseph and, and Derek thing and, you know, have my submarine that's sink-proof. You know, what, would you, what would you tell them? Yeah, you have, have, have a big cushion. <laughs> have a big cushion? Yeah. yeah, it's, you know, it's tough. It's, when I left, I mean, in some regards I was very fortunate and some not so fortunate. I had some very good things lined up when I left, and I left with the impression that this was going to be a lot easier than it was because I had a couple of really big clients right out of the gate that were paying well, and wow, this you know this whole freelance thing is going to be really easy for me. But then the economy shifted, and I had very large jobs that I had worked for months on bidding and quoting and putting together estimates and planning for that just suddenly got a phone call that said, yeah, we've decided we're going to kill that marketing budget. So sorry. And you're thinking, wow, there's you know, not only all the work that I just wasted, um, it, that was pretty much a quarter of the year's income planned right there that just went away. So oops, right. Uh, right. you know, those kind of things aren't, aren't happy. So if you have a good job where you're making good money but you want to go freelance, by all means, do it, but just have the cushion. Have. But the the other side of that, Joseph, is you know, corporate America. You know, the, the same the same thing that you just saying. Like a client calls you up and says, you know what, we our budgets got cut. We don't need them. We you know we can't afford you anymore. The 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 analogy to that in corporate America would be your entire group getting called into sure. HR and <laughs> saying, or just you know you. what, uh, we're cutting this entire group because we didn't no. make our numbers last month. Sure. You know, sorry, we thanks for your hard work, but there's a box on your desk. Right. Right? So yeah, it's and risky. So, yeah, it can happen to anybody in any place. I mean, it's so it goes the same. Just you, you want to have that cushion. Obviously, you want to have as much savings and, and preparation as you can for that inevitable moment that is probably going to come. Yeah. But if you're jumping ship to start a new business, then odds are much, much higher that you're going to be needing that cushion than if you're in a comfortable job that you've been at for a while and you feel pretty secure at. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it's it's not to say that you have to. It's if you're if you don't have the cushion and you don't see getting the cushion and you want to do this and you got to make some life changes. You know, move out of the big house, sell one of your cars, start eating more ramen. Uh, <laughs> Frederick's eyes <laughs> all big. Um, you, you know, you've got to make sacrifices, but and if you've got a family, then the family has to be willing to do that with you. Yeah, that's yeah. that's life. Yeah. Any any final words on your side, Derek, uh, about you know jumping well, out of corporate I, life? I, I like this part of the conversation, which is having some money in the bank. I, I think it's a good idea. I I like to have three months. One of the one of the changes that you notice when you go from uh, getting a paycheck uh, once a week or twice a month is that. Uh, Corp, uh, clients don't always pay with the same regularity, so you have to be your own bank uh, a mm -hmm. lot of times. And I, I like to borrow from myself while I'm, you know, trying while I'm waiting for the money to come in from whomever. And uh, you know, and so having, I would say, if you can get some money in the bank, it, your whole endeavor will will you'll sleep a lot easier at night. And I, I think it's good advice. And even if it means staying on the job if you have to for an extra six months to get a little, you know, money in the bank before you go off on your own, I think in the end it's worth it. 
Yeah. Well, we, and we've, we've gone pretty far off the Reuters story thing, but just to kind of finalize that thought, what Derek's talking about having the money in the bank and paying yourself, or, or rather borrowing from yourself, um, one of the changes that I made to my own business structure, I don't know, maybe nine months ago or so, was to start paying myself. Right? So I've got my business account and I have my personal account and savings and all those other things, but I draw a regular paycheck. I don't go through a paycheck agency or anything, but on the 15th of the month, I go in and I transfer a certain amount of money out of my business account into my personal account. And mm -hmm. then I transfer 35% of that over to my savings account because I gotta pay taxes when the tax man comes. Right. So I take, I draw a fixed salary. So my personal bank account, if you will, um, is just, just the same way as if I worked at any corporate job. It goes up at a certain point of the month and then it dips down and you know hopefully it's, hopefully on average it's getting a little bit higher, a little bit higher and not lower and lower. But then the business account is the one that has for now at least a sufficient balance to continue doing that like Derek said for you know good three months you should be able to run your business that way and not have to worry about the money coming in so when that check comes in 45 or 60 days instead of 15 it doesn't really matter because the money was already there in the corporate account yeah yeah I have a client that's net 90 oh that's nice yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so once you get past that first 90 days if they if they're if you're invoicing them every month and it's net 90 after the first 90 days it doesn't matter it just keeps coming yeah, that's true. That's true. So, so when you develop your next new product, Frederick, guess who's yes. going to go? Exactly, <laughs> Mr. Net Ninety. Exactly. Yeah. See ya. See ya, Net Ninety. So cool. you know, you're to go back to the original thing. It was this writer story, and one of the talking points you you had said on there was uh, with fewer photographers catching the action at the U.S. sporting events, does the image quality suffer? And I was looking for an image. Um, I had to do a little Google searching, but let me let me. How do I share my screen? Um, and remember, we're audio here too. This audio. We're, we're all right. Okay. Well, this yeah. for those that are watching. Let's do this very quickly. Uh, here we go. Here's here's what happens when you have a lot of photographers on the same game. Okay. Describe this photo. <laughs> so you've got a photo, a tight crop photo of at least a dozen, maybe two dozen photographers yeah. with the same long lens pointing at obviously the same thing, and so fewer photographers. Is it really going to hurt the image quality of what's out there? I I really don't think yeah, that's right. a concern. Right. Yeah, that looks like. Uh, all right, I'm going back to the analogy bucket here. That looks like koi in a koi pond fighting over a piece of bread. That's <laughs> pretty much. Pretty but they much. all have. They have those well, are Nikon and Canon lenses too. Well, you know, but you know, that's. I think it's a good point because uh, that was sobering to me. Like when I first time I got to shoot, let's say, uh, a professional tennis tournament or something like that, and they go, "Your spot is right here." And, yeah. and, you will, and you will stay in that spot until, uh, you know, when there's a break in the action, uh, and then you're back in your spot. And you're just going, you know, how am I going to get a shot to difference from everyone? Well, you're going to have a hard time because yeah. you've got to do something else. And, you know, a lot of that's dictated. Olympics are the same way. Mm. Yeah, when does that get fun? I mean, like, like, Joseph, you're talking about being diversified, and you're like, okay, see these two feet, Mark? Put your feet in these yeah. this position. Don't yeah. move, and uh, but be creative and get the shot. <laughs> get a yeah. shot. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I was I was at the Beijing Olympics. Um, that's when I was still at Apple, and I was out there to support the photographers and support that we had a the media center and and a bunch of aperture systems set up out there, and talking to the photographers and you know all of us who are not the photographers, they were going, oh man, that's so awesome. Oh, I'd love to be. Oh, I want to go to the next Olympics, and the photographers are saying, yeah, no. <laughs> 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 You're like, yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm gonna watch it from home. <laughs> I'm gonna shoot the shoot the TV screen. 
All right, guys, let's move on uh, to the listener Q&A. Before we do that, I want to, you know, I'm really fond of this week's sponsor. Um, <laughs> I love them so much. And that's MediaBytes.com. It's, it's a company that I founded as one of my revenue streams. Look at that, Derek. So yes. let's uh, well, give a listen to this little ad spot that I recorded for MediaBytes. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by MediaBytes. It's bite-sized training for photographers. Now, MediaBytes is a site I created to help photographers with easy-to-digest nuggets of learning goodness on how to market, use social media, and other creative tips. All of our training is available online and on demand, so go grab it now. And for 25% off your next MediaBytes purchase, just use the coupon code TWIP, and that's available at MediaBytes.com. All right, guys, it's time for some listener Q&A. This is the segment where we answer questions that have been at the top of the TWIP Army's minds. The first one, or the only one that we're going to go into today is from Paul. He says, can someone please demystify the differences between micro four-thirds, APS-C, and full-frame sensors? Why do we have or need three choices? Derek, <laughs> I think you can <laughs> <laughs> what are, is this is like evolution is like why do we have why do we have chimps bonobos and humans you know <laughs> why do we have pickup trucks and you know sports cars um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well just you know in, in technical terms you know as as you work up the ladder micro four thirds is the smallest of the three sensors in terms of dimensions uh, and then APS-C is the next size up uh, mm -hmm. And then full frame, of course, is the size of a 35 millimeter uh, negative, right? Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. full frame, and that's that's where that reference comes from. Mm -hmm. The reason why we have uh, those different sizes is because it allows uh, manufacturers to design different types of cameras. You know, and so, so instead of just having one size camera that does you know one thing that has this uh, sort of depth of field and you know and responds to low light in this manner uh, they can build smaller cameras bigger cameras uh, cameras that have you know create very soft backgrounds all those things so it's all part of the of the process of creating uh, you know a full toolbox where photographers have these different options and yeah. you know a, a post that uh, we actually did I think on photo help desk today was well should I sell my DSLR if I buy a micro four-thirds yeah now my answer is no. I say no. I say hang on to it uh, if you're an enthusiast photographer or a freelance photographer because there are times you're going to want that DSLR for certain jobs and then there are other times where the smaller mirrorless camera is perfect for uh, what you want to do and and this gives you the option of picking the right tool. What if and they don't have that option though? What if it's you know they got they got money, they've been hearing all this buzz about these mirrorless cameras and they have a they have a DSLR and they're thinking about converting it, but they don't have the money to maintain both. Should they just stick with the DSLR, or should they move the micro four-thirds or mirrorless? Uh, that's a, I think that's a hard question, really. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, maybe rent a mirrorless and mm -hmm. get a feel for it or something. But I, I would not get rid of my DSLR, uh, you know, until I was pretty confident that, that I wasn't going to need it. Yeah, and yeah, and so anyway, back to the the listener's question. These different sensor sizes allow manufacturers to create these different types of cameras. You know? Yeah. 
Okay, so that's that's the different sizes, and we can. I mean, that's a whole different show to talk about. You know what the major differences are between these sure. t- different types of cameras. But you know, suffice it to say, yeah, the different sensor sizes allow manufacturers to do different things, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah. They they really. I mean, you know, you could think of them as a, a you know different size engines in a car. You know, if you want to get mm-hmm. metaphorical. Uh, yeah. So. Cool. If Joseph, you would you, you want to add to that? Yeah, if you want to relate it to film, you know, you look at. At 110 film, that teeny tiny, remember the little cartridges? I remember and those. If you ever yeah. shot that, the negatives from that didn't give you very good prints past maybe 4x6. And then you had 35mm film, and you could do some pretty nice prints with that. Or if you're shooting medium format or 4x5 or 8x10 film, then you could do much bigger and higher quality prints, and you could have your end result was a much bigger and higher quality image. And that's effectively what this comes down to, not to say that the smaller sensors don't give you quality images, because as Derek and, well, as all of us know, the Micro Four Thirds rocks. I mean, it's a really, really great format, but you put that up next to a 35 millimeter image, a full frame image, or a medium format image, and it, it's it's night and day, right? there. You can't say that Micro Four Thirds is as good as a Phase One. It just isn't. Uh, right. There are differences there, but you it's a difference that you pay for with your wallet, and it's a difference that depends on what you need, what your clients need, if you have clients, or if you're just shooting for yourself, what you're happy with. And, you know, for I think you asked a question about should someone get rid of their SLR, DSLR. As Derek said, it's that's a tough one to say yes to, but if you can get that Micro Four Thirds and shoot with it for a while, and if you never go back to the DSLR, then why keep it around? If you're not right. shooting professionally and you get what you need out of the Micro Four Thirds, then go for it. And I know, Derek, you're doing some pro jobs with the Micro Four Thirds, mm-hmm. and that's awesome. Um, you know, I'd like to take a Zach Arias approach and get go medium format and Micro Four Thirds or smaller, whatever cameras, and then get rid of the DSLR. But I couldn't do that, get rid of that middle range until I had the top range in there. Yeah, so. yeah, love it. Yeah, speaking of Zach, uh, he and I were trading emails, I think it was today or yesterday, and uh, he will be coming on this week in photo. We're Ooh, I want to be on that show. Awesome. I want to be on yeah. that show. Dib, <laughs> Please, Dib, can I be on that? <laughs> He's awesome. Zach's an awesome dude. He is one of my heroes. He's one of my heroes. And you know, he's one of the guys that says, you know, do what you have to do to, you know, to make ends meet so you can do your craft. I mean, you know, he's he's definitely one of the champions of that. Yeah, he's a true artist. True artist. Cool. All right, guys, let's jump into the picks of the week segment. This is uh, this is that part where you can recommend anything to the Twip Army as long as it is somehow related to photography. Derek, what's your pick of the week? I do, and I'm sorry I didn't write it down, but uh, I have it here. I have a visual pick of the week here. This, you know, I want to talk about this is a, a ball head X uh, on top of this uh, Joby uh, Gorillapod, and the reason why I'm recommending this is that I, it's an excellent ball head. You know, you can pay a lot for ball heads. Ball heads can get very expensive. Yeah. And this one you can get, I think, for about 90 bucks right now. And the thing about it is that it's Swiss Arca compatible on the plate, mm-hmm. which means, and, you know, we're seeing more and more people jump on the Swiss Arca bandwagon for, um, you know, for uh, plates for, tri- even Manfrotto now came out with a Swiss Arca compatible uh, head. So um, it's, a, it's a really great plate. It's a very versatile plate. And this ball head, you know, it, I put it on top of all the uh, different tripods. For 80 bucks, it has, uh, it has panning control. So you can use it for video also, and then just has very, very nice, well machined ball head. Eighty bucks, Joby Ballhead X, and right. I just love it. I got like three of them, and uh, 
Every time you come on the show, I end up buying stuff. I'm like, literally, I'm not even kidding. After the show, I'm on the couch, you know, doing the, doing the post-production, and yeah. I'm on Amazon buying stuff. Yeah, and yeah. I should give you my affiliate number when you do you that. Should. You should. <laughs> hey, I'm happy to kick back in. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, these guys understand machining, though. They, they really do uh, nice work. Love it. Cool. All right, that's the Ballhead X on the Joby, right? It's called yes. just Ballhead X. Just Ballhead X, and uh, you can either buy it on, uh, you know, on the big. They got the big, the what they call the Gorillapod Focus here, which is the big Gorillapod. Mm -hmm. But uh, I just use the Ballhead on all my smaller tripods, you know, the ones that you pack in the suitcase and all that. Yep. And I just have a, a Joby um, a Ultra Plate on the bottom that, with my grip, and so then, you know, no matter what I pick up. It just goes right into the the ball head. You don't have to do all that fiddling around. It's really nice. Really love nice. it. Love it. Yeah, definitely give me the links and all that. And you know, yeah. give me your affiliate link. We'll put that in the notes. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. All right. Thanks for that, Joseph. What is your pick of the week? My pick of the week is. Yeah. I'm losing it and dropping it. Here we go. It is this itty bitty teeny weedy little Joe, uh, Moby card. Yes, Joby, I'm Moby. familiar with that. You yeah. are familiar with that. I know you did an interview with uh, with Ziv a little while ago. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of the iFi products, and this little Moby card is just even easier to set up than the other ones. And I'll be doing more write-up on it on Aperture Expert eventually, but uh, I did a little one a little while ago when I first set it up. And this thing is it's a joy to use. It just works. It's really, really cool to be able to get the pictures from your from your camera over to your iOS device or your Android device and uh, and shoot them out right away. And now I have a couple of these because I've got this Mobi, the yeah the Mobi one and then the original one. And so they're in, kind of in all of my small cameras. So it's nice I can pick up whatever camera and it's already got that card in it and they're all tethered to the phone and off they go. Yeah. So really cool. Love it. Cool. I, I second that. I think the the Mobi is how I always wanted iFi to work and you know it it works the way I've always wanted it to and yep. it's easy it's really nice and you wrote the book on this stuff too right so I did I did write the book on this stuff and it's in so, there so the, does it does the this Moby's change cuz the Moby wasn't out when you wrote that book was it it had um no it had it hadn't come out yet it yeah. hadn't come out yet so I did regular iFi card and Toshiba flash air in the right. book so how and does then, your recommendation change now that the Moby's out? Is because you were recommending the Flash, the Flash the, Air, the Flash so. Air. Uh, so. Moby's my favorite. Oh, Moby's, cool. Moby's nice. uh, of the cards. Moby's my favorite, definitely. I like it a lot. Excellent, cool, Joseph. You have anything else? Well, I do. I have. Is that a backup? I don't know if I was going to be able to use the Moby. So this is my latest lens from my uh, OMD Micro Four Thirds camera. And for the guy who was asking the question about the differences, this is a 45 millimeter f 1.8, so it is a 90 millimeter equivalent. And it's tiny. It. I mean, look at how it's all tiny. Oh, and it weighs nothing. I that lens. In your pocket. <laughs> this is such a great lens. I sleep lens. with that lens under my pillow. Just yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's so small and so lightweight. For those just listening, this thing is, what, a couple of inches long. And um, it's just, it's a great quality lens. Works beautifully in low light. And it's really not that expensive for what it is. And it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a great piece of gear. So if you're a Micro Four Thirds shooter, I highly recommend this lens. Perfect, and I think I read on on the digital story a while back that that lens you you have the silver one there, Derek. Didn't you write that that it's now available in black as well? I they they introduced a number of them in black. I don't remember if they introduced that one that particular one in black. I know uh, you know the one I was waiting for in black they did, which is the seventy five millimeter f one eight. 
Mm. which is uh, the more expensive Big Brother to that lens. But Joseph's right. That 45, you can get now, I think, for around 350 if you shop around. That's a steal for mm. that lens. I mean, that, that it's a lens you'll have forever. Yeah. It just makes some creamy, blurry backgrounds. Yeah, it's, it's sweet. It. It's sweet lens. I'm a fan. Cool. And Joseph, how much was that lens? Do you... Well, Derek, you said about three fifty. That sounds sounds about right. Um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, the list price three ninety nine, but I've I've seen some deals and rebates on it. Cool, awesome. All right, at and Moby, m- at a Joby X thing, the Ballhead X is only sixty four fourteen on Amazon That's right 64? now. That's sixty four. All metal too. I mean, it's 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 nice. All right, enough, enough. All right, story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my pick of the week is somehow is somewhat related to yours, Joseph. So, um, and I'm gonna do a little a little review of this thing. This is the this is the Sony NEX 5R that I'm holding up for those of you who are listening. And no, I have not replaced my OMD with this guy, but um, I'm actually dating both of them right now. So I love <laughs> I love this little camera. I gotta tell you, there's so much I need to tell you guys about this. We're gonna do Doug K and I are actually we we launched a new show called All About the Gear. And the next show that we're recording, I'm going to review this yeah. in that show. Um, so I'm not going to give it away. But I'm going to give away one thing as my pick of the week on TWIP that I like about this, and that's the Wi-Fi capability of this thing. It just blows me away. So it's built in, right? So unlike the Mobi, which I have in my OMD because it doesn't have Wi-Fi in there, I put the Mobi in there and I'm, I'm set. The the Wi-Fi in this camera is a button on the back. You just it's a soft button on the touchscreen and also a physical button. You just hit it, and you it basically creates a little Wi-Fi bubble around itself, and then you launch the app on your phone, your Android, or your iOS device, and all these photos show up in little thumbnails, and you click on the ones that you want and say copy, and it just sucks them in, and it comes in unbelievably fast. I mean, they're just like, and all the images are now in my phone, and I'm, you know, editing shots in whatever, you know, Snapseed or whatever that were shot with this APS-C size sensor. So it's a, it's a really kind of sobering experience, you know, so even coming from the Mobi, because it's, for me, this was a little faster than the Mobi. It is so, faster, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a lot faster. So, and I don't know why, you know, I don't know if it's because the OMD or if it's because... You know, it's it, the Sony engineers built in hardware inside the camera to make it fast. I don't know, but it's probably it's a bigger faster. antenna and more power behind it. Maybe, yeah. Because I mean, you, you have to fit the antenna into this teeny tiny little chip. Right, right, yeah. But it it works, and it's just you know, if you have one of these five R's, or if you're planning on getting one, this this thing was like six hundred bucks, you know. Um, but if you get one, try that feature out because it it just changes things, you know, because you're now. Now you're like, because this thing is tethered to my, it's connected to my phone, it's connected to my tablet, or, you know, my, my iPad, and I can just, it's just, just so easy. The path, it's like the path of least resistance to get images in now rather than, you know, well, I'll just copy them out later, you know. Well, so, you know, the I think the second half of 2013 into 2014 is going to be the year of finally getting Wi-Fi right by the yeah. camera manufacturers because they all seem to be getting it together. Sony's done a great job with that camera. That's a good camera all the way around. Uh, Canon is, is getting it right now, and, you know, we're going to see that on the... Panasonic, yeah. Panasonic and, and some others that I can't say anything about also have gotten it right, too. So yeah. Yeah. it's yay, finally. 
Finally. Yeah, yay, I can finally get rid of my camera connection kit for my iPad. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a, that's a good thing. Yeah, And, and yeah. I like it that they create their own access points. So you don't have, you know, that was another problem. You had to use, you know, a network that already was around. Right. Yep, yep. Freddie, so, what, what's the format, uh, the sensor format in that camera? Is it Micro Four Thirds? Uh, this one is APS-C. It's the same wow. exact sensor that's in the Nikon D7000. Wow. Like, the one that's in the D7000 is actually purchased from Sony. So it's it's that, but in this little tiny thing. It's that's insane. impressive. Nice. It is crazy, yeah. So I'll I have, have, I have another show. pick. Joseph, since you went twice, I have another pick, too. So my <laughs> other pick is this thing, and this is the Moto X from Motorola. It's the first collaborative effort on a phone between Google and the company that they picked up with Pocket Change, Motorola. So, 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 but the cool thing, photography-wise of this, and my pick of the week is not so much the phone, but it's this thing right here. So, say you have, my phone is, this phone is sleeping right now, right? So, say, um, you know, there's this interesting shot that I want to take, and I want to get into my camera. This is how you launch the camera app in this phone. So, I've just flicked it, oh, there it goes. I just flicked it twice in my hand. All I did, to, for you guys that are listening, all I did was was flick my hand twice, uh, my wrist twice, and it launched, launches the phone, or launches the camera in the phone, just like that. So you pull it out of your pocket, you turn it twice, and you're in the camera. So that blew me away. <laughs> that blew me away, aside from the voice recognition and all that stuff in this thing. It's just really cool. And this was the... Uh, this is uh, Derek, I was telling you this before we started the show. Right. This phone is the first Android phone that I've ever, like, literally touched and played with. So... You know, I'm uh, I'm still learning it. I just, I've only had it for a couple of days now, but uh, you know, it's it doesn't suck. So <laughs> well, no, well, you know, there's there's something to be said coming in after they've kind of worked out some of the bugs, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I and, love it. Yeah, you know, I'm like, think, you know, the Marines have gone in, and this yeah. first the settlers went yeah. in and took the arrows, and the Marines went in, and now I'm coming in to leisurely set up a government, right? <laughs> yeah. So this is this you know, if you're gonna play with an Android phone, this is a good time to. It is. It is. I'm. Uh, yeah. I'm just having fun geeking out with this thing, sitting down and just like, oh, I can do that. Oh, I can change that. You know, I can change the keyboard. <laughs> oh, wow. Who knew? <laughs> so, so, so do, you, do you keep all your devices in separate rooms so they don't find out about one another? Uh, and, and, no, uh, no. I mean, they, I've trained them to get along with each other. Okay. Yeah, see, in fact, in fact, Miss Android sits right next to Mr. iPhone. Right oh, here, so. that's, that's that's good. Yeah, it's ebony and ivory. They live together yeah. in perfect harmony. <laughs> so, Frederick, I have See, to ask because you have had an iPhone obviously for a very long time. Is it really faster to launch it by doing the flip flip as opposed to as you're pulling the iPhone out of your pocket to just swipe your thumb up and open the camera? No, that's pretty quick. I mean, by the time it's out of my pocket and up, it's it's open. It's launched. Yeah, yeah. I would say no. It, it, you know, it, or negligible. I don't. I don't think. You know, I wouldn't buy the phone for that for that particular feature. Okay. So no. I mean, yeah, you're right. On my iPhone, I can just flick up on that thing, and I'm in the photo mode to right. take the shot. Um, but it is just kind of cool to have it gesture based. I guess. Sure. So. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So, those are my two picks of the week. You know, I will. Uh, I will reveal more about this. This particularly, I want to talk about the camera in this Moto X, but we'll do that later. Because there's some interesting things about it. I'm not going to say positive or negative, but there are interesting things about the camera in there. Really cool. All right. Um, 
we're at the end of the show. So stay tuned for, you know, after we get through the, the closing credits and all that for a special interview with Mr. Garrett Clark. He's a photographer um, that's outside of the borders of the U.S. He's up in he's in Taiwan, in Taipei, Taiwan. He runs he and his partner run a studio called Up Against the Wall Studios. And he and I talk. We had a nice talk specifically about how do you start up a brick and mortar studio in a foreign country, and what are the challenges with that? What are the pluses, the minuses, and all that? So wow. really interesting conversation. Yeah. So yeah, definitely check that out. All right, guys, we're at the end of TWIP. Where can Derek? Where can people go to stay connected with you? Uh, go to thedigitalstory.com. Everything's there, and uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, despite uh, the the terms of service, <laughs> and uh, Twitter and Facebook and all that sort of stuff. So, hey, I'm hey, still on Instagram too. I posted today on Instagram. You just gotta, you know, you just gotta. And, know and, what and to I, I want to come back as in September because September is going to be rocking. In our industry, so you know, there's gonna be lots. Of you talk and your teasing, man. Come no, on. no. So just, just about, about mid-September, let's get together again. Jeez, oh, you're killing me with this stuff. All right, Photo Plus. Okay, all right, Joseph Lenaski. <laughs> Where can people go to keep up with you? Oh goodness. Uh, how about I'll just promote the general catch-all that is Joseph.info. You can find all of my projects from there. The PhotoJoseph.com and the Aperture Expert, of course, and everything else will launch from Joseph.info. And as you prune projects over the year and add new projects, they'll all show up there, right? That's the idea. Awesome. Cool, guys. All right. And listeners, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. And remember to join our thriving community over on Google+. And finally, if you're looking for me, you can find me at frederickvan.com or, of course, at mediabytes.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. Okay, I'm here with Mr. Garrett Clark. He's a photographer whom um, I, I interacted with several years ago, earlier in his career. Now you fast forward, what, three or four years later, and he's now a successful photographer uh, doing some really cool stuff. Not only is he a su successful photographer, but he's doing it uh, in exotic locations or in a exotic location. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about him as a photographer, his transition over the last three, four years, how he got from there to here. And also the, what I'm really interested in as well is how do you operate a successful photography business in a foreign country? So Gary Clark, welcome to This Week in Photo. Hello. All right, dude. Uh, let's start there. So I teased that you are uh, you're remote. Where where are you right now? Where are you recording this, and where what time is it right now? It is midnight in Taipei, Taiwan, in uh, up against the wall studios, which is me and another photographer, our company. Yeah, uh, location in Taipei City. How did you how did you come up with up against the wall? What is what's where was the genesis of that name? <laughs> uh, my my friend and I who started this company. 
prior to that, he had a um, kind of a promotions company, like a party promotions company mm-hmm. that was up against the wall, mother expletive. Seriously? <laughs> oh. <laughs> up and against the wall, MF. <laughs> yes. Nice. But fully written out. And it, I mean, it was more of like a, like he put on some shows and some events. And once him and I decided to collaborate, we were also taking a lot of pictures at events and parties. But we sat down and we were like, oh, up against the wall and should it have the bad word on it or not? Yeah. And like, we started talking about our vision, where we wanted to go. And if, you know, a few years down the road, do we have a business? Can a magazine print photos by? No. And so we dropped, we dropped the mother effort and we came up against the wall. But it had a bit more of a discussion to it. Like we were shooting events all the time, like parties, DJs, all sorts of events. And we got bored mm-hmm. quickly, mm-hmm. as you do not have found of that. And so what we started to do were make mini studios inside of the club. Like photo so booths? Pick, like photo booths? Yeah, a photo booth. Like this is three, four years ago. And so we have kind of themed photo booths inside the, inside the club. Mm-hmm. And you find yourself talking a lot like, oh, stand up against the wall, stand up against the wall. And then I think part of that kind of clicked in. We're like, oh, that name will actually fully function for our name and stuck with it. And yeah, we got it. Well, were you, were you, um, not always, when, when did you discover that you wanted to be a pro photographer? Did you, was this sort of like, you know, a, a series of events that led you to where you are now, or was this always in the plan? One day I'm going to be in Taiwan, in Taipei, and I'm going to have this cool studio, and I'm going to be up against the wall. You know, what? how'd you uh, get here? I wish I could say yes, but that would not be true. <laughs> um, you know, in high school, like I did, I did photography, and my high school had this amazing photography program. And our teacher, Sue Barkis, was just this amazing woman. And we had multiple dark rooms in, in high school. So I was 13, 14, 15, up until 17 years old and ditching all my classes to go make prints in the dark room and basically forgetting everything else and being like, this is what I want to do and always walking around with a camera. But then after I graduated, I went to university and I think as what happens is, you know, oh, I've got to be serious or I need to get a, some type of a job. Like, you can't be a photographer. That's a dream job. Right, right. And I actually, I went to school in Northern California, in Chico, and, and studied economics there. And then my last year, I decided to study in Madrid. So I went to Madrid. <clears throat> and- oh, wait, wait, wait. You got to pause that. <laughs> you're like, you're in Chico. And you're like, you know what? Uh, I think I'm going to go to Madrid. You know, <laughs> how do you make that choice? <laughs> you just like see you, you like you roll right over that you James Bond types, man. You roll right over. <laughs> like yeah, I just decided to hang out in Madrid for a while. Yeah, I knew some people. I don't know. You know, how did that happen? I'll I'll tell you the truth. Like I like yeah, Chico. I just like I love Chico, but I started to be like oh, I want to. I want to set my like sites a little bit larger. I'd, I'd grown up traveling. My parents travel, so I've been all around the world. My dad's from Ireland, so every summer I'd go back to Ireland. So the idea of traveling wasn't really foreign to me at all. But then I started like studying Spanish, and I think in California it's essential to know Spanish. Mm-hmm. 
And so I got more and more involved speaking Spanish and I started to realize, okay, you need to live in a Spanish speaking country to actually fully speak Spanish. Right. And the choice was between Costa Rica and Madrid and I couldn't make my decision. So I literally flipped a coin and I was like, I don't know what to do. So I flipped a coin it came up heads and I went to Madrid and it was an amazing experience. That is, that is so cool. So then, okay. So not that I don't want to go step by step through the evolution of Garrett Clark, but you know, so let's, let's just jump forward um, to the decision to, to move to Taipei. So why, why that particular area of the world? Let me, I got I got to backtrack just a little sure. bit. In, in Spain, I started, like, Spain's much more supportive of arts. And so that's when I picked up the camera again. And I started taking pictures and doing art shows. Got it. And the, the, they call it the facultad. But the, um, the part of the university that I was studying at was also the art students area. So all my friends were art students and just kind of like, yeah, of course you can be a photographer. That's what you should do. So I started to get really into it. And... At the same time, I started to develop interest in Asia, like realizing, all right, Asia is starting to play a major role in the future of the world, and Chinese and learning Chinese would also be really beneficial for what I like. Maybe I'm going to be a photographer. At this stage, it was still, uh, who knows? And so I moved back to California to save up money to move to China. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm just going to go live this adventurous lifestyle and take amazing travel pictures, these you see the pictures of like China and Vietnam and they're so like mysterious yeah. temples with like in the, in the haze with bamboo forest. Yep. And I wanted that. I was like, oh, I've got to get that. Yeah. So I took some photography courses uh, in Southern California. And I think as a lot of photography instructors do, that he kind of pulled me aside and he said, you, you know, if you want to make this a business, you need to study business. Yep. You've got this semi figured out and if you really want to make it your career and at that point I decided you know this is what I'm gonna I'm gonna make a push and try and make this happen so he told me study business and I started looking online and my dad who's a professor showed me this MBA program in Taiwan and if you were accepted scholarship everything paid for it hmm. and by the grace of God I got accepted that's cool and kind of blindly came to Taiwan just with the hope of I want to take pictures in Asia and I want to learn Chinese and then getting here taking a lot of pictures and me and Steven Viger my partner he's off with Greenpeace right now on the Greenpeace boat or else he'd be here but him and I got together made up against the wall and then started doing the, the work not doing the work that we're doing now but started working together you started to, yeah yeah, that's that's really cool. Wow. So you so if if I heard you correctly, you hold an MBA. You're, you're uh, yes. That's cool. That is so cool. <laughs> it shocks a lot of people. Like, no, you're a photographer. And it's like, yeah, I have an MBA and in like operations management and marketing. So wow, that is that is cool. You're doing it right, man. You're totally doing it right. So let's let's talk about um, the meat of this interview. I wanted to sort of focus it on just what it's like to run. Um, a studio there like how do you get clients what do you what do you when you're re- I want to say it's remote because remote is, is relative right <laughs> so yeah. when you're in a different area with different rules and regulations and laws and 
you know, a different language and all these different barriers. How do you get up and running? Because I mean, it's like you, you mentioned before we started recording, you know, I talk about brick and mortar studios a lot on TWIP regarding the overhead that's involved with maintaining them versus, you know, going out on your own and just putting up a website and that kind of thing. It's hard enough to set up a brick and mortar studio here where you're from and where you know the language and can write and understand the, the laws. How do you, how did you get it going? How did, what were the pitfalls of getting your studio going there? We, we sat down and we discussed the kind of photography that we wanted to do. And both of us have a different approach to photography, but both of us wanted a studio. Like Steven's much more technical and has a greater capability within the studio as far as lighting and just how to set up studio shots. And I'm, more prone to take on location shots. But still, I wanted, and he wanted, like a home base, a place that you can get creative in to build a studio. And we started out, we had no money. We we're kindergarten teachers in Taiwan. Yeah. But we took pictures. And I think if you go to any foreign country, you'll find a, like an expat community. Mm-hmm. And so we, we basically started there and they said, the first thing that we need to do was build a base of people that, like, actually, I said the first thing that we was build the name up against the wall and build a logo and start with the idea of a brand and then expand the brand as fast as we can, not necessarily online. Like, we tried a lot online as well, but also amongst people. Right. And so we did a lot of event photography. And at every event, at every event we have, like, I mean, uh, a lot of promotional material, a lot of business cards and stickers and things that people would start to be like, oh, this isn't some guy in the club taking my picture, but this is up against the wall taking my picture. You were marketing, you were marketing specifically to expats out there or, or, or everybody? And if, it was, and if it's everybody, how did you jump over that? I'm assuming that you, you speak the language, so, but how do you... You know, how do you get them, what's a different way to put it? Like, say you're shooting weddings in the United States. People say, you know, we talk about this on the show a lot. People tend to self-identify into the, I'm going to hire a photographer like me to shoot my wedding. Like, how uh-huh. did you break into that as you're clearly not from there originally into, okay, I'm going to hire those guys over, you know, Cousin Bob over here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How did we or how are we still sledgehammering? Both. Out? <laughs> Both. <laughs> um, well, uh, after shooting events, and we started to get some name and also some more traffic to our website, what happened was we started to get um, a lot of clients outside of Taiwan. Mm-hmm. So we get a lot of people that, like Taiwan right now is in the top 10 travel destinations in the world by Lonely Planet. And Taiwan also has this like incredible technology industry. And so there's a lot of publications, whether it be travel, magazines, airline magazines, or technology magazines that want to, that have an interest in Taiwan, but they want to hire us because we can speak English. Mm -hmm. Oh, we want to have someone that we can communicate with that can go out and get the shots. So when you talk about being in another country and the difficulties of it, one of the advantages, we could take foreign clients, whether it be in Europe or anywhere in the States, Canada, that have an interest here, and we can work with them. Yeah. and help them achieve what they need in Taiwan. That's but that doesn't really settle, like, how do you get clients in Taiwan? 
Yeah, how do you? I mean, what, what's are you knocking on doors? Are you like you know putting flyers under on windshield wipers or? What's... Well, there's 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 a number of things that we've done, but I think the two strongest things that we've done now are we do a lot of work with Greenpeace mm-hmm. and we do a lot of work with Red Bull, both like very globalized international companies that also want tons of photography and spend money on photography and they're both very good clients that have roots all around the world but also have really strong roots in Taiwan. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what's really helping us bridge this gap of getting more into into the presence of like the Taiwan photography market. So we've taken like step one was using like working for solely companies that weren't based in Taiwan. And we're in the middle of step two where it's like working for international organizations that have a presence in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. But we've also have tons of print flyers and we made like, we printed out postcards and stickers and buttons, wrapped them in nice packages and walked up and down the streets of every business. And like where, where our studio is, is a big shopping area. We wanted to do some like uh, fashion sort of shoots or like um, kind of ad campaigns for stores. Yep. And so we literally walked around with twine, twine, twine tied butcher paper packages of promo material in Chinese and walked in the store and said, hey, can we speak with your boss? Can we, can we hang out? We, we've got our studio down the road. We want to work with you. And we're starting to see the results of that come back now as well. So you're you are fluent in Chinese, so you can you can step into that store and not be doing sign language and drawing pictures <laughs> on a pad, right? I'm not doing sign language. I can go in and talk about photography. I can talk about the studio and have a have a chat. But if somebody wants to discuss further, then. Like you have your confines of the vocabulary that you know. And Chinese is really difficult. Like you know what you know. And it's not like English where you can kind of build on what you know. It's like this is what you know. And if you don't know it, you don't know it. Right, right. And so, yeah, we, we definitely like, like I was thinking before this interview, like one of the most important, absolute essential things if you're going to work in another country is learn the language. You must, must learn the language. And we're in the process where we speak enough Chinese to definitely have conversations and run the business, but there's a lot of room to grow. Yeah, sure. yeah, of course, always. Um, so I want to I want to talk about just the idea of uh, a little bit about the idea of of the costs involved with setting up a studio there versus here. Like it's it, for me, like just out of my anything outside the United States, it just seems like it's, it's going to be insanely expensive even though that's myopic and you know stupid but it just seems, it seems like you know it just seems unsurmountable that i could go to a different country and set up a business you know because it's hard enough here to do that and i'm thinking over there someplace where you don't you don't have a mastery of the language you don't you know there there aren't those cultural connections to do that like what what's the like physical costs that to get your business going and how'd you guys how'd you guys overcome that the actual like breakdown of costs you're just generally yeah no no I'm just, i was gonna say they work much more in our favor here mm-hmm. than they do say like taipei would be 
I mean, it's not San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York, but it is the capital city of the country. Yeah. And like the cultural nucleus, and we're right in the heart of it. And we have, I don't know how many square feet this is, but I, I mean, you could park a couple, you could park a car in here. Mm-hmm. So it's large vaulted ceiling warehouse. And yeah, our rent is extremely cheap. Yeah. Surprisingly, like it's not like the overhead costs really isn't, it's not uh, prohibitive to enter the market. We pay to run the business you're looking at without paying ourselves salaries, just like what we have to pay to keep going is around a thousand dollars. Wow. Which is in the big scheme of things is nothing. No, no. Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. We, we definitely have to. I don't want to that cat out Bag. <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm coming are you gonna see yeah. this week in photo studios right next door to yours in a couple of weeks <laughs> no but it, what, what, i mean what was interesting was actually trying to find an appropriate place like taiwan is a really small country with a really big population and people live in really close quarters and of course for a photography studio you want a big space and you want vaulted ceilings and we found this spot and when we came in it was the walls were kind of covered with graffiti and it definitely needed some thing to make it look nicer to have a client come in and sit down on the couch and feel like this was a professional space. So we spent a lot of time like really cleaning it up, painting it how we wanted it and really like really making it our home. Did you guys do all that work yourselves? Yeah, we did everything ourselves. Wow. Sweat equity, right? (laughs) Well, there's something about you put your, you put your heart into it. I think, you appreciate it a bit more. Yeah, yeah, very true. Well, what about some some tips for people that are that you know don't necessarily want to go out and start a business in a in a foreign country, you know, outside of the U.S., for example, but folks that want to, you know, like like we were saying, we were tra- we were trading emails, and some people say, hey, I'm going to go on a trip, and I'm going to take photos while I'm on my trip, and you were suggesting that they flip that and say, I'm going out to, I'm making a trip and it's all about photography. Take me into that a little bit. What, like, how do you switch to that kind of mindset when you're out and about? Everyone, like so many people now love to take pictures. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if you decide, uh, like there needs to be a clear decision of, I'm going to try and do this on a professional capacity or I'm going to do this purely for the love of it. And once you're able to make that decision, like, okay, I'm really going to make a career out of this. If for myself, like if I went out after I'd already made that decision, if I were to go on vacation, I couldn't relax Mm -hmm. because I would be like, this is such a great opportunity to advance my career. Mm -hmm. I'm in a, like, I I was in the Philippines on vacation when this kind of struck me, Uh, Philippines and Laos, where I was out hanging out and having fun and in like my heart of hearts I wanted to be taking pictures and then I felt like wow you just wasted a bit of an opportunity to advance your career and so then after that it was like when you go on a trip the trip should be about photography and that I did I went to Sri Lanka a couple years back and it was just a trip for a month by myself to go and take pictures and without any shred of doubt that was the best vacation I've ever been on like it was much more yeah I felt yeah I felt really alive rather than sitting on a beach for 10 days I was staying with these tribesmen like deep in the Sri Lankan jungle and they're 
mud huts with studio lights taking pictures. <laughs> that would have been a shot. That's a shot of you doing that. I'd love to see that. Like you in the mud hut with your like battery powered strobes set up, you know, with these people that are like, what, what is this guy doing? <laughs> well, well, I mean, I think I, that's actually interesting. Like that, that, that was a time. But since, since that time, the focus has been on making up against the wall, making it a studio and making it a commercial studio yep. and having to give up those opportunities and like realizing, am I going to be a travel photographer and am I going to take these kind of travel shots or am I going to be a commercial photographer or what, on, in which area of photography am I going to work? Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to confine yourself to being like, I can never go do this. But for me now to say, I'm going to go for a month to Sri Lanka, I've got a calendar of shoots for clients lined up. And then if I leave that, then yeah, you work yourself into a different spot. Yeah. So I also, once we created up against the wall, had to make the, make the decision like, I love doing this, but I really want to do photography as a career and the opportunities for setting up shop in Taiwan and really pursuing clients, repeat clients and working with them time and time again, I might have to give up a little bit of that. Yeah, it's all it's like life, right? Everything's checks and balances, pluses and minuses, give and take. Right. Yeah. 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 So so speaking of give and takes, uh let's talk a little bit about like do's and don'ts of while while you're you know, while you're out and about. You I mean you've mentioned several countries in this conversation that you've traveled to and I'm sure you've picked up a couple of things as a photographer in terms of, you know, probably not wise to take this kind of thing with you or do this thing. What are some like the couple of tips that you can give the audience about, you know, hey, you if you're traveling to some place outside of your comfort zone, these are things that you might want to pay attention to. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one. Isn't it? <laughs> you're like, well, there's so many. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not that. I think it's just the general general rule is just be nice and be kind. Like, whether you're in your own country or wherever you're at, yeah. people are people. People are and, human. Yep. Like if you're nice and you approach things with a smile and if something offends you, especially in a foreign country, don't get like don't get so mad about it. Like if you like the last thing you want to see as a traveler or do while you're traveling is to freak out on someone, to flip out and start yelling because you might not know the whole situation that's going on. So I think always stay calm and be nice and smile. Yep. Relax and count to 10 and take it with a grain of salt and move on, right? But I, I think a, a lot of that can be like brought back to like focusing on our work in Taipei is one of the things that we've had to learn about are cultural norms. And like, what do you, like, businesses operate the same and differently all over the world. And so trying to learn how does business operate in Taiwan? Like a lot of it, as I think is similar in the States, but um, a lot of it's in Chinese, they say guanxi, which means like basically you know somebody or you help somebody out and they help you out. And so learning how to operate that type of system in whichever country that you're going to be in, like we've definitely had to learn that. Like, Sometimes you'll give more, maybe you'll do a shoot for reduced costs or less or free in order to and understand, oh, well, this is going to come back to me in a better way or this helps these people out. And I think that 
if you're going to take pictures in another country, that's something you want to yeah. pay very, very Reciprocity, close. right? Reciprocity, pay, pay it forward a little bit. It'll maybe come back to you, right? Well, not, not just that, but like the, the business norms, the way business is ran in that particular country. Mm-hmm. Like different countries operate in different ways. And uh, I think having a, an astute awareness of that is, is important. Like that, understanding the culture and speaking the language are going to put you much further ahead than just walking around taking great pictures. If you can combine the three of those, then you, you got yourself moving. Love it. Love it. So what's, what's, what's next on the, uh, the agenda for you personally over there and, um, you know, up against the wall, you know, the, the company entity, what's, what's on your agenda? Um, we have got this <laughs> giant chalkboard on the wall over here. Yeah. Um, we're actually, we, like I mentioned before, we do a lot of work with Red Bull and they're an awesome client because they've helped us bridge this gap into Taiwanese society. They do a lot of work. We, we work closely with the, the music and culture department yeah. of Red Bull. And so they've introduced us to a whole bunch of DJs and artists and musicians and dancers all in Taiwan. And all of these people have other people that they're involved with, other businesses they're involved with. So Red Bull's helped us enter into Taiwan. And just today we had a meeting with them where we're going to start doing some documentary video. <laughs> You'll be happy to know we're moving into video. <laughs> but um, yeah, they, like um, a couple, a little bit ago, Red Bull did this thing where they wanted to try and bring DJs and classically trained musicians together. So they had a guy spinning and then this Juilliard trained violinist playing violin and they oh, made these songs sick. and they crossed over. It was amazing. And it inspired this other guy to make this show where he's going to have um, like classical musicians and hip hop artists together. Yeah. And so in our meeting today, we discussed, okay, here's the, the promotional photography that we're going to do for it. So we're developing, I guess, like the poster that you'd see on the street, like going down the street. And then uh, a few teaser videos, kind of commercials for it, as well as a documentary covering the, um, they're doing three shows in total. So we'll do a documentary of the whole thing, all in Chinese. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) We've got that coming up. We do do uh, like personal shoots for fun. We've got some cool stuff that we're working on next week. And then we're doing another video next week of um, a French tattoo artist and graffitier that's got some uh, like prominence within that community and he's coming to Taipei and it's super cool like he does tattoos in very strange places not like strange on the body but like the actual physical location being strange yeah and in Taiwan they have this it's kind of like Taiwanese chewing tobacco it's called beetle nut and all these guys chew it and it makes their mouth red and gross yeah but if you drive outside of the city, there's these boxes on the side of the road and these bikini-clad women in these boxes that taxi drivers pull up and they come out and they sell them this, these bags of this chewing tobacco. So anyhow, the idea is that we're going to get this, this tattoo artist to actually do a tattoo inside one of these boxes on the side of the road and make kind of a mini viral documentary about oh, that's it. That's cool. I want to see that. Do, let me know when you get that when you get that thing done. I'd love to, yeah. you know, help get the word out about it. 
That'd be awesome. Yeah, we're we're excited. We're doing we're transitioning more into video work as I think is like almost the expectation at this point. Yeah, yeah, multimedia. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah and specifically video. But yeah, multimedia. You gotta you gotta know you gotta know bits, pixels, and all this stuff lately. <laughs> it's like it, right now. Uh, I'm pretty new to video, so it's still it's exciting to make these little clips and just put them together. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm excited to get more involved with it, especially like back to the business side. If we can approach clients and say we can provide a studio shoot, like if we're talking clothes, we can provide a catalog shoot for your clothes. We can go out on the street and provide an entire like lookbook and kind of stylish ad campaign, yeah. as well as a few like um, video promotions for you. Then you can approach whether it's in any any language where you're at. If you can approach a client with that package and do it well, then I think that they'll be much more. They'll definitely be interested in speaking with you. That's cool. So what, so uh, you know, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you it's it's late there, which means yeah. you're probably going to go out and uh, go hang out a little bit. Right? It's almost one a.m. <laughs> it's almost one a.m. It's party time, right? Yeah. So uh, where would you like the uh, the Twip audience to go to check you guys out and see some of the work? Um, the, everything we base out of our website, which is www.upagainstthewall.asia. Dot dot Asia. Dot Asia. Yeah. So, so. Asia. Yeah. Oh. And from there, Facebook and Twitter and the rest of the social media are out there. Perfect. Perfect. All right, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate you uh, you reaching out to to do this interview. Um, it's this is perfect because I this was on top of my mind. I just met with some folks that are you know in the expat community over in. Um, uh, Thailand, actually, cool. yeah, and which is obviously not where you are, <laughs> but yeah, they're over there, and we're just talking about some. Of, they were echoing some of the same things that you're talking about in terms of, you know, how do you operate in a in a foreign country, you know, outside the U.S. and what's it like being a photographer over there and travel tips and that sort of thing. So this is this was perfect timing. Thank you, I appreciate you. Awesome. Doing to anybody that is traveling through Taiwan or looking to come out here. And interested in photography, please write us and we'll talk to you. That's awesome. So you're saying if I come out there, you'll show me the town? You have a studio that you can sleep in, stay in, shoot in, anything you want. (laughs) All right. Well, you heard it here. It's on record now. (laughs) Cool, Garrett. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it.